Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Happy New Year. So one final reminder and a show of appreciation, by the way. We love you. We appreciate you. We appreciate you supporting our work. The entire Surf Splendor Network is listener supported. And as a thank you, we like to give away surfboards. We like to shine a light on board builders, friends, partners, all that sort of stuff. So I think we've given away eight or nine surfboards this year. I forget exactly what the count is, but we are partnering with retailer realwatersports.com to do it this month. We're going to pick one listener at random on January 1st and allow them to select any board from realwatersports.com's inventory, and we're going to gift that to you. Real Water Sports will ship it to you anywhere that you are on the planet. It's a pretty incredible program that they've got going there. Surfboards, as you know, are cumbersome, but Real Water Sports has figured out how to ship them all for one low flat fee. So for any surfboard purchase that you might want to make in the future, check them out as an option. Again, 1500 boards. So they have something for everyone. And uh, they work with a lot of the world's best shapers, a lot of the people that we've interviewed here on Surf Splendor. And if they don't have what you need in stock, they can order it custom and have it made for you as well. So they do a pretty incredible job there. And to get in on this, go to surfsplendorpodcast.com, click on the support link. It is $5 a month. And it is the backbone of our business. Of course, you can continue listening to this show and our entire archives completely for free. We'll always have that available to you. But listener support allows us to expand what we're doing, to hire people, to build the business, and archive all of this stuff for posterity. So we appreciate your support. And these surfboard giveaways are our way to say thanks for that. So surfsplendorpodcast.com to get in on this. If your support comes in before the final moment of December on Pacific Standard Time, you'll be entered to win this one. And uh, for every month that you're supporting, you will be entered to win those future giveaways as well. So thank you so much. And of course, thank you to realwatersports.com for the incredible work that you do. 
And one final thanks also for the end of the year for FlorenceMarineX.com and their support of our work here. We could not do it without them. So for any gear that you need uh, for surfing, for sailing, for outdoor adventures, consider FlorenceMarineX.com. This is, of course, John John Florence's brand. All of the gear is North Shore tested and approved. One of my favorite things from Florence is the ultraviolet protected tops. It's a hooded rash guard. It has ultraviolet protection embedded into it. Pretty incredible product that'll keep you safe, shielded from the sun, but also protected from UV rays. Of course, board shorts, wetsuits, their outerwear is incredible. Waterproof shells, puffer coats, durable ripstop pants and shorts. In fact, I'm wearing the shorts right now. So check it all out. North Shore tested, John John approved, FlorenceMarineX.com. A barroom made in tights. A seagull like me Right off the sea You may have heard surfers say that it's impossible for Hollywood to make a good movie about surfing. The argument being that it always comes across as corny and it's impossible to really capture what surfing is through narrative anything. Well, the new feature film, Get Away If You Can, has surfing, but it isn't a surf film. And I think it may actually be fair to say that it wasn't actually made by Hollywood. It was made by a surfer and features a lead character who is on the hunt for waves, but it isn't about surfing. In fact, the co-writer, co-director, today's guest, Terrence Martin, jokes that, quote, It's the most realistic surf travel film ever because it's 99% fighting, contemplating, and traveling, and then just 1% surfing, end quote. The other co-writer and co-director is Terrence's wife and co-star in the film, Dominique Braun. The film also stars multi-time Academy Award nominee Ed Harris, whom you most recently know from Top Gun Maverick and Westworld, but his list of films and accolades is endless. Abyss, Apollo 13, The Hours, The Truman Show, A Beautiful Mind, Pollock, and on and on. This film, Ed's most recent film, is the result of Terrence and Dominique's seven years of writing, filming, attempted fundraising, and also Terrence's 20-plus years of cumulative experience working in Hollywood. He worked in art departments, he worked in test screenings alongside everyone from Scorsese on The Departed to Judd Apatow on The 40-Year-Old Virgin to Quentin Tarantino on Inglorious Bastards. And for the vast majority of that time along the way, there were always portals that one needed to pass through in order to get a film made. So mostly in the form of studio backing, which would then queue up funding and distribution, all of that stuff. So it was a very narrow entry point into the world of getting a film made. And in fact, Terrence hurdled all of those obstacles one time with a film that you may have seen. It was called The Donner Party in 2009. But that whole filmmaking model, that experience, left Terrence soured as he lost creative control of the film in post-production. And despite having written and directed that film, the film doesn't really reflect Terrence's intention. But here, more than a decade later, production and distribution is more accessible for the dogged, and Terrence is able to see this current dream to fruition. 
funded by his own poker winnings, literally, shot mainly on a boat and a remote island, and an exercise in creative collaboration with the love of his life. And by the way, good enough to get Ed Harris to co-sign it. So the film is Get Away If You Can. It's on Amazon Prime. It's excellent. Watch it for $3.99. But an even bigger help to support it is to write a review and rate the film. You know, algorithms. So I caught up with Terrence while he was on Kauai in between surfs to give you and I a very convincing argument for why you should always, always chase your passions. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Get Away If You Can, co-writer, co-director, and co-star Terrence Martin. Enjoy. We're on the highway someday With all the tolls we pay the highway someday and the weight of the world slips away slips away I mean, I cannot believe I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah, I tried to give you the background so your viewers can get just the feeling of how alive and rich it is here. I was there uh, in October, actually, for two weeks. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. What part of the island are you on? North Shore. We have uh, dear friends in Kilauea Farms. We've been kind of like, my wife and I don't have kids, but we've been knowing them since they first had their kids. So we try to come every winter, not just for the surf, but to kind of see our surrogate family. We, uh, what, what a setup. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, avocado trees all over. It's, they're living such a pure, good life. It, no matter where we are in the world, like we always think, oh man, to get back there someday, that's, that's the way to live where you're just eating off the land and surfing every day. Why don't you do it? Yeah, I think we will. We've, uh, we've been through a lot. We've been in Patagonia. My, my wife's uh, dad actually just passed. That's why we were able to come here. But he was on a really slow decline. He was all alone in the south of Patagonia. So we went to spend all of COVID with him. And um, now we're kind of, uh, maybe we will end up back here. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, Patagonia is pretty great too. But when you're a surfer and it's two hours and an hour ferry ride to get to the Pacific, it's a little frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> um we say it as like it's a fantasy like oh we would love to spend all of our time in Kauai but when I actually think of the nuts and bolts it's totally doable it's yeah. it's like a mental blockade for us to where we think we're anchored in Southern California because it's where our families are and it's where we've grown up and it just feels like we should stay here but when I yeah. really think about the moving parts there's no reason why we couldn't and you're absolutely right it's such a better way of life it's healthier. It's, you know, it's just better yeah. in all ways. As soon as I step off, I just feel like this jolt of goodness, you know, everything's so alive here. I mean, for me, I worked in the film industry for 20 years. So, and I also played poker for a living and like Los Angeles, you couldn't make that work here in Kauai, but you know, if the movie does well and maybe we'll, we'll end up locating here. Um, it's certainly our happy place on our, 
Yeah. Good. Maybe maybe we'll be there then too, and you and I can uh yeah we can get we, dinner. We can get dinner. We could, get, we could get we could get one of those parcels, and we, you have the mango trees. I'll have the avocado trees. A, a lot of co-ops around around here in Kilauea do that, which I think is a nice way to live, like the old communal thing. Like, hey, my magnets are ready. What do you guys have to trade? Like, it's a really cool 100%. thing. Hundred percent. Um, your wife is actually from South Patagonia. She actually grew up, her, her dad was a, is a Chilean, but um, she grew up in Argentina because of the political situation. He was a businessman, so they had to move the business. He worked for AstraZeneca, who's the CEO. So she feels like an Argentine, but he retired back to Chile and, and Patagonia was where he lived. So that's where we visited him in his old age. But she's like an Argentine through and through, like now that the world, they're playing for the World Cup, she's like super stoked. And like Argentines are like a whole like amped up, like, Chileans are much more chill and reserved. Okay. And Argentine is like a completely different culture. It's like someone from Texas versus someone from New York City, you know, like right, that, right. that big a difference. So um, um, is that area South Patagonia, then it's got to be super remote, right? Yeah, it's 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 out there. I mean, no movie theaters, two hours to the to the group. We have like little mom and pop stores around, but to get a good restaurants, two hours and um, but we're right on a lake and it was perfect for COVID because you couldn't go anywhere anyway. And I have a dog there, beautiful lad named Maui. And we had um, a bunch of cats. It's it's a nice life. If I didn't nice. surf, I think it could be the perfect life. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I'm, are you familiar with Chef's Table on Netflix? Yeah, yeah, it's a great one. That Francis yeah. Malman episode where it opens yeah. with him on the lake in Patagonia. That's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Well, I had one of my best dinners was at his place in uh, Mendoza. It was absolutely everything cooked on an open fire. Even the dessert was just these like hardcore roasted fruits that just no sugar, no nothing, just the fruits. But the way they were cooked, like completely ridiculous taste. I know. I love that show. And there will be obviously episodes with like super fine dining in New York City or wherever it is. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But when I see Malman's episode, that's how I want to eat. You yeah, know what I mean? Like totally. that. And I mean, I think he does the fine dining thing as well, but still the style of food that he's making is how I would prefer to eat for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I recommend his restaurant. If you ever get to Argentina and Mendoza, it's, it's a wonderful place. I think he has a bunch around the world, but yeah, he, does. he was there that time. So it was a, it was a really special night. Um, so I know you grew up in Connecticut. I did it. Yeah. Right on the beach. I didn't realize. So are there waves in Connecticut? Well, I was, it was like a frustrating situation because we were right on the sand. We were staring at Long Island. So there's like this down between Connecticut and Long Island. So we would get like a hurricane every, twice in the summer, but I would be in the water every day, like fishing and boats. All friends had boats. We'd, um, so anytime a swell came, I was just like so excited to body surf and just ride waves, you know? And we would get get out to Montauk maybe once or twice a year or Long Island. And I would just spend all day in the water. So I had like this building love for waves and surf and this love for the ocean. And I went to college in Australia, a place called Macquarie for a semester. And luckily my my roommate there was a surfer from Florida. And he took, um, um, we bought this like cheap little Sigma and I learned to surf at Manly. Basically I took all, all classes where I could just watch movies. So we could go off. I could watch the movie on my own and then file the report, but then we could just travel the coast. And I just took to it so quickly. I was a soccer player all through college and my youth. So I was really athletic and I had that ocean experience. And 
after that semester, I just knew like I could never be away from 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 the. It was like my stoked years were, were my twenties, you know. So I first stood up at Manly. I was like um, nineteen, I think, and then immediately moved to Los Angeles and just became a regular, you know, Malibu and Doom and all the Northern LA breaks. I consider those my real, um, you know, my learning my learning time. Yeah. What What were you studying in college in Australia? Well, I got um I got a full grant to this like pretty good liberal arts business school, but I knew I wanted to do film because I started writing at a really young age. Um, but my mom was like, hey, you're stupid not to take this like free deal. I wanted to just go to L.A. and, you know, just throw caution to the wind and try to try to make it in the film industry. So we went to this school, but I was stuck in this like small town PA taking classes in like, you know, liberal arts, like stuff you had to take. They had a theater department and they had a writing department. But then when they said I could travel abroad, I got to do all film study. And then they let me finish at UCLA on this like um, program called the New York Film Academy, which was like this, just they give you a camera the first day and they gave me like a whole semester of credits for doing wow. that. Um, so I milked it for what it was worth. But those years stuck in liberal arts PA, I realized like, man, like liberal arts education, I don't, I don't know who that's for. Like when you know what you want to do, like if I have kids, I'm going to say, hey, like if you know what you're going to do, don't waste that time in classrooms, like go, go out and do it. Yeah. Um, but what going back, even you said that growing up, you wanted to get into film. Yeah. Um, why? What about it? What, what I just what love so story from the early age. You know, my my mom is a voracious reader. I was a reader as well. And then in the video generation, you know, on HBO, like it was just stories were able to transport you somewhere from a, from an early age. I just got caught with that bug. And I went to this special program in school, which was the worst thing you could call in a blue collar town. I grew up in this town called West Haven, this little beach community. And it was called the gifted program. And they shipped you off to another school. <laughs> the even the teachers would like resent you, right? They would be like, gifted kids, get up. And the rest of the class is like, fuck you, gifted fucking kids. But we would go to this program. And for the first time ever in my education, the teacher would just say like, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I love story. And she's like, just go to a room and write. And this was like third grade. So from third grade, I had like this regimen of writing like for three, four hours a week and then presenting these stories to the other kids. So from that early age, I was like, wow, like if I could do this for a living, that would be a wonderful life. And, and, and filmmaking was an extension of that. My cousin was in film school. We make these like little horror movies on the beach because I was a huge horror fan when I was little. I don't know. You're probably about the same age as me. Like, remember those days when you go to the video store and you would just come home with like oh, a yeah. stack of tapes, you know, and I would watch them and break them down. How did they shoot this? How did they do that? It's like reverse engineering films from a really young age. Um, what? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I relate to everything that you're saying. The deviation is I never thought that I could actually do it. It yeah. always felt like Hollywood just felt like such a big thing that, and I have no entry point um, in my wildest fantasies. That's what I would choose to do if I just had an access to it, you know, but I, I also have kind of a background in writing and I'm, I study film nice. from, from kind of like a studious standpoint, but never thinking that I could entertain the possibility. So I'm just curious where that entry point was for you and where you saw that opening. Well, all I said bad about liberal arts education, I have to say, I had a dean called Dean Deers, and he organized this trip for the for the five or six of us in this small little school called Susquehanna in Pennsylvania that were interested in film. And we went to L.A. to meet like real screenwriters. 
And Dean Dears had had a Ray Liotta as a student. We didn't get to meet Ray, but we were supposed to. But when we got there, we were like, oh, wow, these are just like dudes, like making money, writing, working on movies, and they know our Dean. So it felt like, okay, cool. Like I can see nice people here working in an industry, making money. So it definitely upped my confidence to, to try to do it myself. And, and since I had learned to surf, I was like, well, I'm going to go live near a surf city, right? So where else could I go in the world? But, you know, Los Angeles. And, um, you know, luckily that program hired me right away to teach film oh. students because they were like expanding the Universal Studios. So my first job in LA was um, basically, I went from that program to a teacher within that program and like making all these crazy short films on a universal lot. Um, and one of the funny things was Steven Spielberg's kid was like a teenager at the time and he was in my program. So here no I am way. like helping Spielberg's kid make these little movies, you know, and like he's showing up to the screenings. They're just little short films that kids make. But right away I was like, okay, cool. And all, all my other peers were UCLA graduates and they, they were way ahead of me, like, cause they had already studied four years of intensive but they, you know, the cool ones would would kind of give me their advice about who to call to get jobs. I worked on a movie called Holes. Did you ever see that movie with Shia LaBeouf? Yeah. I actually yeah. got that. I got on that job very, very early because in the New York Film Academy, I knew the summer program was ending and I, I, I didn't have a PhD in film. So they weren't going to keep me on for like the full year. So I saw they were like setting up this movie called Holes and I had read the book and I walk in and I'm like, oh, guys, like, do you guys need anybody? And they're like, actually, we need someone to start tomorrow. And I, I, I worked for the production designer. So I was the one, uh, we dug all those holes in Ridgecrest. And of course the Hollywood guys didn't wanna go out to Ridgecrest and deal with these hardcore like workers. So I would go up to Ridgecrest and supervise all this drilling in a dry lake bed. And I was on that movie for like seven months. So I really learned the ins and outs of a, of a, of a big production. And the director, Andy Davis, who directed like The Fugitive, he knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. So even though I was in the art department, which is mostly responsible for like the look of the film and the sets, he would, um, you know, invite me to set sometimes where I would kind of <laughs> make suggestions that nobody wanted to do. I remember him and Shia, like I came up with a shot of like Shia, like throwing the dirt and falling in the back. And like, I totally stopped production. I didn't know you shouldn't do that. But I thought it was like a funny idea, right? Because he's digging, but he's just like filling his own hole. And they yeah. kind of went with it for a second, but then I just saw like the mechanics of this movie just shutting down around my enthusiasm and realized that I had better just, you know, shut my mouth and learn instead of try to direct this movie. That I, right. yeah. But it was such a learning experience, man. And um, yeah, it was a really good in, um, internship into the film industry. And it actually paid pretty well. I was, uh, as I think I was on it for seven months. Yeah. yeah. As you're talking, I'm thinking too, with other people I've known, who have worked in Hollywood that that just kind of showing up, taking a job, whatever the job is, having that cash flow kind of from month to month to be able to sustain the lifestyle and the dream out there, but being on set and engaging and interacting is half of the battle. If you have your, if you're still writing on the side and you still have your very pointed direction of where you want to go, as long as you're there being a part of the moving pieces, it seems like opportunities present themselves. Yeah, definitely. And if you're a hard worker and you're, and you're willing to learn, I think very quickly people, a lot of um, people don't end up actually directing or writing because they, they find they're a talented editor or they find they're talented. Like I could have gone the art department route because I could have gone on a swing gang and those guys get our, our union and they get paid a ton of money, but I didn't want to be driving in trucks and like setting up glasses on sets. I knew I wanted to direct. So 
after that, I made a point that, okay, that was my learning experience. I'm going to really pursue my own path. And, um, and I had a couple of scripts that like almost got sold, you know, like these close, close calls. I wrote a movie, uh, about, um, these mountain men, a guy named Jim Bridger. It actually, the movie, the Revenant, do you ever see that movie? Of course. Yeah. So it was that exact trapping mission. And I wrote it about 10 years earlier, but told from the perspective of the kid, Jim Bridger. Um, that's the one that leaves the Leonardo DiCaprio character. So it was like this coming of age story of this kid who abandoned one of his, um, you know, mates on this journey. And we almost got it made and it would have been like a hundred million dollar movie and it didn't get made, but there was like such a great feeling when I saw the Revenant get made. Cause I was sitting there going around Hollywood pitching this, basically yeah. the same story but told from a much different perspective with a great director. It would have been a whole different more movie, but it was a, it was really like, I remember calling the manager and saying, hey, see, it, it did get made. Like somebody made the story somehow, you know? In, in, into an incredible film. Like it validated oh, yeah. your, yeah. So beautiful. Because that that was a really key part of American history. You know, the free trapping. I love American history. And I, I think there's so many great stories in that. So from that, I said, what can I do like on a Blair Witch kind of budget, you know, that's still tied to American history. And I found the Donner Party story when I was researching that. And I, Actually, there's a group called the Forlorn Hope that left the main party. So it was basically just a small amount of people in the snow. And I thought, wow, I can do this on a budget. And I got that movie made and it was um, one of the early streamers on Netflix and it sold to Showtime. Um, I don't love the movie because I didn't have final cut. So even if you agree with some of the choices, artistic choices, because I saw the movie differently, it was a bit of a frustrating experience. But, you know, nice to be in my third, in my 20s, actually, and get a feature film, um, you know, produced and distributed. I think, was, it, um, was it just the final cut where you um, lost creative control? Yeah, it was weird. It was kind of a hustle, man. You know, there was an era of, of, of Hollywood, which I think is kind of dying now, which is great, where the producer would just kind of do what they can to get everybody to work cheap and hard. And then they would just take your movie and do whatever they wanted with it, which my producer assured me that was not the case. Cause I had worked a lot for Harvey Weinstein in a, in a whole different business. And I said, Hey, I don't want this. Uh, this is my movie. Like you're barely paying me anything. At least I have to have creative control, but you know, it didn't end up happening. He, he had this idea that we had to like turn it into like more of a horror movie than it needed to be. And the distributor who bought it actually said they only bought it because it was with Crispin Glover. And we had to change the name to The Donner Party, even though it's about a small group of the Donner. It was called The Forlorn, The Forlorn or The Forlorn Hope. Um, so all the stuff he did just, it just caused a rift between me and the actors because the actors came on for me, not for him. Yeah. Um, they, they didn't like the choice. He was just killing characters just to, someone needs to die here, you know, like right. without any real respect to what really happened. and. It really hurt me because I wanted to tell the story with the with reverence to what really happened, you know, and historians yeah. would come out and say, yeah, these guys just trashed the story. Did they even research? And I said, yeah, man, like should have read the first script. Like we had Gary Oldman who wanted to do it. A guy named Barry Pepper, who I loved. And, yeah, um, I know. Saving Private Ryan. And totally. Like, we had like when you have a good script and you can get those levels of actors, our producer didn't even realize that that's really rare, you know, because they're they're willing to do the film at a very low cost because they really believe in, in, in the page, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And, and now that I know, I know I could have had more leverage to get final cut because of that, but 
he just made me feel like I'm very lucky to have the money and just, you know, just go shoot the movie and everything will be great was what he said. So when yeah. you're saying that era is kind of dying in Hollywood, um, is that to say that they're embracing the independent filmmaker a little bit more and letting that vision kind of see its full expression? Yeah, de definitely. I think that the distributors are actually paying less up front for films, which is kind okay. of nice, but they're partnering. So so on this, this film, we, we're still like a majority owner of our film, even though we're using a distributor. And I like that relationship a lot because it's not like, hey, we own you. We're with you. We're helping you to get the film to the world, but we're partnering in the success or failure of the movie with you. Uh, the tricky thing is to find honest distributors, but I have an attorney that's been in the business for 30 years, so I, I trust him because he can see the returns on all his other clients' uh, films. So uh, in the past, in the past, there were fewer distribution channels, so they figured if they could pay you a small amount up front and own the film, they knew how to land it in the distribution channel and take yeah. all that profit, basically. Exactly. And and, and they would like they would dangle like just enough money that it was like, hey, it's like you made a hundred thousand or something. But then people didn't realize that they're making triple, quadruple. My lawyer said. Yeah. So yeah. when you're a partner, it's great because your ceiling. There's no ceiling. Like our movie came out now, and we're just starting to see the revenue. But it's going to be a seven year process. People are going to find it on streaming platforms, and we're going to feel really like it's going to come out in Japan and France, and we're going to be part of all that. So it's it's really exciting. Um, my producer, the one that I'm talking shit about, um, actually sold it to one of those guys that just gave it like a quarter million up front, but they had told him, hey, like, this, this is just the beginning. You're going to get millions after. He never saw one other report besides that quarter million, which was still, I think, profitable for what we shot it for. But it, he, it was a very frustrating experience for him because I think that distributor made a ton. Like, it, oh, not, ma yeah. not many indies play on Showtime for two years and it kept streaming from Netflix to Amazon to, and I, I still find it out there. I think uh, it has a bunch of YouTube views now. I check it out for the actors, but it's like painful yeah. to watch it. It's like, man. Like, sure. Oh, yeah. Um, as it relates to writing, those examples that you gave were based on real stories, you know, yeah. nonfiction um, and books even. So, and the film that you just made seems much more uh well it's fictional but it seems like it might be based somewhat autobiographically or themes are autobiographic <laughs> uh, um were you always writing both kind of genres or was yeah that a transition for you fiction is my number one but okay. I, I love i love when the fiction is rooted in 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 reality you know like uh yeah a real drama yeah making making real life but finding a dramatic thread to to tell the story properly you know um, yeah yeah uh, this latest, even though, yeah, it's fiction and my wife and I are in it, like, we're not like those characters at all. Like, I would have gone to the island in a second. Like, I'm super nice <laughs> to my wife. But people, when they meet me, they're like a little bit standoffish. They think I'm a real dick. And it was just important for that movie that that character have yeah. start off really, really in that place. But even in this film, you know, you're looking at like Robinson Crusoe and you're playing with these ideas of trapped on an island and how history has played into that. Um, so, so I did a lot of research on the stranded on the island film and um, really wanted it to be more about the emotional survival, right? Like we could have gone the castaway and played with this idea more about how I get fish, but I wanted it to be about finding purity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And first of all, I loved the film. Oh, really good. 
because not I everybody really, does. So I was nervous. <laughs> no, you. no, I really did. And thank um, you, thank you. Yeah, and I thought it was just so uh, conceptually well conceived on so many different levels, and even the way that the title plays. I thought it meant something else at the first third of the film. And I thought it meant something different at the second third and the final third, it meant something entirely different. Um, It's just really, it was really smart, poignant, charming, everything. Nice. I'm glad you got that. We wanted it to be very open to interpretation. We didn't, we know what we're trying to say, but we're okay with people finding different, like Kubrick is one of my favorite filmmakers and I can rewatch like, his films like 2001 and think about something different each time. So that's what we were yeah. kind of sh- shooting for is that um, it's open to interpretation, but, um, but yeah, that's great that you got it. Uh, um, we're yeah. finding, finding in the early reviews, like very polarized. Like um, really? some people are saying, we get emails saying, Hey, this is like the best movie I've seen in the year. And some, some real aggressive hate as well. Well, um, I don't, I'm not sure I understand where the hate would come from. I could see, if you were scrolling your phone and half watching the film yeah. that a lot of, a lot of the, I don't know, the best parts of it would be lost on you. Yeah. If you are watching it including into those themes um, and the interactions, it's very relatable. The, the interaction with his, you know, with Ed Harris's character with your father yeah, is very relatable him kind of overseeing and trying to overlord what's going on in their personal dynamic is relatable. The wife wanting something to do on her own and conflicting and it all sure. of it is very relatable. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Well, we have like this negative stalker that anytime there's like a mention of our film, he goes up and writes like all the things that are bad about the film. And um, is he a film critic? I don't know. I think he just, he, I think he's a little crazy because I tried to interact with him in a funny way saying, Hey man, like your points are valid, but why don't you try to let everybody else enjoy the film? But he, he said like the ending was totally hedonistic, which I don't agree. Maybe it's a religious thing. Um, Hmm. But I feel like sex and love and enjoying plants is not hedonistic at all. It's, it's a, it's a good way to, to find purity, but. But, yeah, but, you that's, know, that's a strange of, criticism. I think you but, could just write that guy off, to be honest. Yeah, totally. But, you know, the negative ones always stink because we put this is not just some horror movie I made for fun. Like we put a lot into it. So we actually really like reading the reviews and saying, oh, wow, they processed it that way. One one really good reviewer gave it like a mixed review. And he said they just shouldn't be together. And we were like, no way. Like he he was super young. And we were like. I don't think he ever experienced like real chemical attraction. That's what we were going for. It's like, maybe they're not the nicest guy, but there's, uh, I feel like a very strong chemical pull between the two that I hope is undeniable. But it's undeniable. Well, it's undeniable. And then what was relatable was if you're in a confined space, a sailboat with that person for an extended period of time, you're going to get cabin fever and hate that person no matter oh, how definitely. much. And yeah. so then the, and that chemical pull comes back into play with a little bit of separation. And then each person person's kind of playing their part to like, no, but I don't want you. So that makes you want the person more like all of that was spot on for sure. Awesome, man. Yeah. It's yeah. nice. When, yeah. And, and it, for an indie film like ours, we just need a certain percentage to love it, you know, and, and yeah. that's what we shoot for. Um, yeah. Because we um, we released it in a way that it, it went to theaters, actually, which is rare for a film like that. So when you were in, like, say, Omaha and you saw this come on VOD, you you thought this was like with Top Gun. You know, it, it came as like in theaters. 
Um, so we took a big risk doing that. We, we weren't presenting it as like this festival darling. We were presenting this as like, this is a big movie in theaters. And it'll be interesting to see how the numbers are on that. But we, we like that idea of just kind of putting it out there with all the other films, all the Marvel movies and seeing how it kind of settled in and attracted an audience. Um, um, to, so let's talk a little bit about the process of the journey, I guess, of making the film. Sure. Um, apparently it's a it was a seven year process. What was the concept for the script from the get go? Well, it's really funny, man, because with the Donner Party, I realized like with, you know, the distributors kind of wanted horror and thriller, like you can just kind of package those things really easily. And uh, I met the love of my life, who's my co-director in this, Dominique Braun. And um, we were, she, she had studied acting in New York and she was just like, we would always like watch movies and like get frustrated with the same cliches and love the same art films and even the big Hollywood movies. We, we would want them, we would really agree uh, artistically on what, what, what we like. So we wanted to make a movie. And I, I so wanted to, uh, to, to share, she, her dream was to like go to an island. So we, our first stop was in Kauai and we were gonna make a horror movie here about the chickens. You know how the chickens are <laughs> all around. It was called Balk with an exclamation mark. And my idea was like, I wanted to kind of get away from Hollywood and do something in the surf world. So I got Sonny Garcia to play this hardcore local and we were gonna use some other pro surfers and have it be like surf film, and it was about, um, it was right after Fukushima and it was about like this crate came to shore, right? In Kauai and the chickens start eating the, the, the crate and they just go crazy. So these tourists get caught. Um, but for whatever reason, the money wasn't coming even though it would have been a slam dunk. It was like this silly, fun horror surf movie and, and the budget wasn't high. And we were getting so frustrated by the financial process that we said, hey, like, Let's just make a movie where we're the actors. So we're not, we don't have to like schedule in a week for everybody. And if we screw up, like the movie's going to be bad. Let's just take a project that doesn't have a deadline. And, um, and that's when we started this. And it was important to me that we improvise a lot and then draw the script from that. So I okay. saw when we improvise, like, even though we're a very loving couple, like when we would kind of like get into that tension, it felt like real fireworks were coming. So then I started to think, where does my own anger come from, you know, and we all have family issues and people put things in our mind. And I, it was a, something we both were wanting to um, explore at the time. So it was, I guess, not to overuse the words organic, but in, in the way of finding the story, it was organic between her and I and what we wanted to do in a film and, um, and just take our time with it. And, that, and we actually shot all that um, island stuff before we got Ed Harris into it. So we had this movie, okay. it was just two of us. Like imagine that wow. beginning, but without any cutting away, just all there. And it was super intense, um, but it, it, was, it, it seemed like a framework and you needed something deeper. And um, I had worked a job at the Academy Awards and I really got along with Ed Harris the, the, the year he was um, nominated for Pollock about Jackson Pollock, the painter. So I had his yeah, contact info and, um, and I said, well, what would you think about trying to get Ed Harris to play my dad? And he's like, oh my God, The Abyss is my favorite movie. And we brought it to him. We didn't hear back for seven months. And at seven months, he said, let's have breakfast. And we pitched it to him and he's like, I'm in guys. You got to wait a year. I'm doing this little uh, Western sci-fi show for HBO, which turned out to be the first season of Westworld. 
And uh, well, I mean, when he told you that it's a Western sci-fi show, yeah. <laughs> you probably scoffed. You're like, perfect. I'll see yeah. you in a year. And then you could be with me full time. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not having any idea that idea sounds insane. But yeah, it's so totally. good, you know. Well, it's actually based on a film. Um, once I once I learned the title, I went and watched the the old film, and it's pretty cool. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, with Yul Brenner. It's uh, there's like from the seventies. Um, it must be a book as well. But uh, but yeah, so, he was stoked because he goes from this like huge HBO show where it's like waiting in a trailer all day to like just you know working gritty. He's like a gritty creative guy, so. Um, even though we weren't obviously paying HBO rates, like he gets a, I thought he got a pretty good experience out of it. He gets to unleash and be creative and he's a, you know, fabulous actor. That, th- th- those are the experiences he lives for, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, over the years, I've always loved his choice of projects, Yeah. whether yeah. it's, whether it's huge or he does a lot of smaller stuff too, but he's like super reliable in terms of if he's in it, I always love the film. I agree. And I think you would think like anybody who's like a millionaire actor would only do cool stuff, you know, but there's like some actors yeah. that you just see the shit they do. And you're like, dude, like, why are you doing that? I think when you, when you have that kind of power to choose your projects, they should be of a different thing. If you're a struggling actor or you're not on the giant level, you just kind of have to take what's offered to you. But um, yeah. Um, what did, have you gotten feedback from him about the final project as it lives now does he like it yeah man it was so cool because um we premiered in the lemley theater in santa monica which is an art house theater that i've been going to since i first moved to la like i would come home from surfing malibu and just pull off and see whatever movie was playing at 12 i remember seeing dancer in the dark there and like crying my fucking eyes out at how brilliant that movie was and staying for a second showing because I, I liked it so much. So, so wow. to premiere there, Ed, Ed, Ed luckily had just come off a project. He, he lives in Malibu. He drove down. He just sat like between Domi and I. And at the end of the movie, he's like, hey, guys, like, I'm so glad I did this. It came out really beautiful. And, and Good. He, he was really proud of it. And maybe we'll Amazing. Work with it, work so with in, ter- in, in terms of the timeline, so you shot the stuff with Dominic, Dominique and yourself on the boat presented that to Ed, got him to sign on. And then you said it took him a year to actually be able to film. Yeah. So we were, we would go and I would read through the scenes and we would improvise. We wanted him to be kind of funny, like, like a dick. Yeah. But like a little bit lovable, you know? So we came up with ways that he could kind of insult me in a way. Like um, I had a babysitter when I was a kid and uh, her husband was a Marine and it just, he was a hardcore dude he loved me a lot but he was really hard and I kind of based it on that guy and Ed brought a lot to the table and um yeah and and when we got him it was so fun because I'm not a I don't train as an actor and here I am going head to head with one of the best actors ever you know yeah so he could kind of direct me and with with emotionally you know like um so it it was amazing fascinating So where does the timeline go from there then? You've got Ed, you filmed that stuff. Yeah. What's next? We cut it together. We got a really good editor and put it together. And it felt like so machista, like so male energy. And it's like Domi needed to breathe. So we then created her sister character. And Martina Guzman, who plays her sister, who is a a lesbian who owns a ranch in Argentina, was to counteract the hardness of the Ed and my brother. 
Yeah. Um, and she's actually pretty well known. She's on a show on Apple now called Echo 3, I think it is, which is I, I really recommend. And she's um, just a fabulous actress. She's one of the best actresses of Argentina. So we had to wait for her, but we thought it was worth it. Again, we had no producers breathing down our necks. You know, we had the time and we just wanted the movie to come out, come out well. And then when we cut it with her, we were like, okay, cool. Like now we can go from the male energy to the female. Um, been reading a lot of books uh, about male and female. And we're really like, even though we're realizing everybody's on a spectrum, like males are so testosterone driven. Like that's just what we have, you know, and females with estrogen and they're much different chemicals, you know? So I really wanted to explore that idea of like how we relate to that. And I just, I just love how soft the sister talk compared to like how the males talk you know it's it's, it's i thought i thought she was phenomenal as an actress and i was not familiar with her yeah um, i loved her and speaking of energy that first embrace that they give one another when they reconnect that yeah. hug i was oh, just yeah. like i don't hug my i don't hug my family like that but i want to like yeah, and yeah. then i was like maybe it's just a, yeah. a south america kind of thing like to be more effusive and to show your emotions more, you know? It was really the touch it needed. And it took really COVID for us to be there with the film. And now we had three different shoots to put together to, to really find find the story. And what's fascinating did, to build you know it what? that way. Yeah, once we did, we took it to my lawyer and, and we said like, first of all, who's actually paying filmmakers? And this company Brainstorm had put out a movie, uh, a skate film. I think it's called North Hollywood. But it had done really well for them. It, it, it's worth checking out. And um, they actually killed it on VOD because everybody was at home stuck. And here's this like skateboard movie with Vince Vaughn. And my my um, my lawyer repped those guys. And he said, yeah, this company's on the up and up. And they like your movie. Like if you want to even just skip that whole go to festivals and compete, which I had done with Donner Party. And I hate that. It's like every film is its own magic energy. Like why are we competing? You know, it kind of extends to surfing too. I when I, I, I like competition you know but i like competition more when it's like a game that everybody's playing that they understand not when it's like super subjective you know like i like the surfing of jordy smith i i feel like he's so smooth and he doesn't ever look sketched out or like he's trying too hard and so for me it's like what well, why doesn't he get the same scores you know and i feel the same about film because you go to a festival and everybody's saying my film's better than yours this one's just earning like if you put a lot of love and it's a good story they're all perfect you know yeah Veyerwatches.com is here with us to help us sign off the year. You know that I've been wearing a Veyer solar-powered watch, not just in the surf, but through every day. It's got a little solar cell under the dial that uh, is constantly charging whenever it's in sunlight. So never need to buy a battery for this watch, never need to wind this watch. It just is automatically absorbing energy and storing it to power the watch uh, in perpetuity. They make incredible timepieces. These are functional tools that not only look good, but will be with you. You can hand these things down. They are assembled in America. They have watches for every style. They're durable, functional, great looking. Check everything out on veyerwatches.com. There's a two-year warranty, free shipping, and over 4,400 customer reviews raving about the quality for the price. So much like Terrence Martin, these are just two guys who followed their dream 
essentially they couldn't afford the watches that they want and the watches that they could afford they didn't like so they launched Veyer so learn more about them at veyerwatches.com it is spelled v-a-e-r and then watches of course dot com our promo code is surf15 so surf and the numbers one five and that'll save you 15% off any purchase so go check them out peruse and then when you make your purchase put in our promo code surf15 and benefit from that savings and support our work all right Thank you very much, veyerwatches.com. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we'll come back to the timeline in your in the film, but let's use this to segue to your work experience um, doing the uh, screenings. What is that called? 
How oh, test, yeah. screen, test, test, test screen. Yeah. Test have you ever been to one? Believe it or not, I have. Um, oh. Jason, Jason Reitman's film, Labor Day. Oh, yeah. I remember that film. You remember yeah. that film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know how I got invited or why I would have gone at the time. Probably just a dude with a sheet or something. It it wasn't that because I heard you talking about that, doing that. And I'm like, no, it wasn't a random somebody for some reason reached out who I knew oh. and coaxed me into going. Oh. And I went and sat through the film. And then so uh, the card. Yeah, Jason Reitman was there and he got up and talked. And like I filled out the card. I gave like I re- realized some people just wrote on the card real quickly and passed it in. And I was like trying to give real meaningful feedback. Right. And um, when the film ultimately came out in theaters, you know, a year later, whatever it was, it was a different version of the film that I saw. So they absolutely used feedback from those screeners. But t- talk a little bit about your experience doing those test screeners and what you learned from it. Yeah, that was interesting because I had had that experience on Holes where I learned a lot about production and I was on a major motion picture, but I didn't have any time to write. I was working like 70, 80 hours a week. That's another thing that's changing about Hollywood is they're not working, when I was a production assistant in the art department, not working people with the same hours. But I really missed writing in my own projects. Like there was no way I could be in production and write and direct. Like I just would have no time. I would probably have a lot more money, but I wouldn't have any time. <laughs> So I said, like, what kind of job can I do in the film industry that I can make my own hours? And I, in L.A., there's these guys that recruit for free screenings. It's a, basically a sales job. You just go up and you say, hey, I'm with Miramax or I'm with, um, you know, Sony and we're testing the new Harry Potter. Would you like to come? And, and you get paid per numbers and um, I could make my own hours. And I was really good at it. I would I would I would get like they would say very specific demographics like, hey, like we're light on 18 year olds, like go find 18 year olds. So you would just be like okay, like, where am I going to find 18 year olds? Let's go to Santa Monica beach. I'll have a surf. And then I'll walk down the beach and see who's going to be in town. And just talk to people, you know, have a beer. And I, I did it really laid back and they started to send me to different cities to do it, which was like, you know, only for the top people in the company. And you would get like this nice hotel room and every week you would get a different movie. And I worked on like the departed was one of my favorite ones with, you know, Martin Scorsese. And um, it was amazing because I'm, Goodfellas is like one of my top 10 films of all time. And here I am like giving him audience feedback. You have to be very careful never to give your feedback because they're not paying for that. But they're kind of paying for like a general feeling of the audience. Like sometimes uh, good intention filmmakers, like their ending just doesn't connect. Like people won't know, oh, that flower represented this. So they'll have to go in and say, well, like it's not such a bad thing. We just have to figure out a way to make what I'm intending. That's how it worked the best, you know? Um, sometimes it worked in ways that the producers wanted to completely change the movie. So they would just use bad scores to manipulate filmmakers. And that was frustrating. But, um, but yeah, it was in its purest form. It was about making a big film better and more relatable to an audience and, and more yeah. enjoyable. Um, so, so, yeah, I did that for about four years before I got the Donner Party film made. And then I, um, I retired. Um, I actually started playing poker along the way. and ended up making so much of that and not having to put in many hours that it became hard to go to this job where you had to eat a lot of shit because you're working for these like top Hollywood guys. When I was like, I can make way more money at the poker tables than dealing with like frustrated studio heads. Cause sometimes you would test the movie and you would get a great audience, but they would like look for ways that the, you screwed up because their movie tested badly. Right. I, I learned well, so much on this movie called dream girls. You know, this movie dream girls. Yeah, I never saw it, but I know exactly. It's Jamie Foxx and 
Beyonce. Yeah, it's it's uh, Eddie Murphy, I think, is the main character, um, but it's a black um, musical turned into a film. And um, they wanted um, they wanted a very white, young audience to see it. They didn't want just like people who like 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 musicals and stuff. Right. So they sent me and this guy who was the best recruiter in the company. He was kind of like my mentor and my travel partner to Dallas to recruit this all black movie. I'm from, from the East coast, you know, so I don't know much about racial politics. They wanted us to go to like white colleges, like get, get this kind of like Caucasian audience to see this film. And we just couldn't do it. People would refuse to go to the movie. Mm. So they, they all fly into Dallas, Katzenberg's there, everybody in the front row. It looks like the village people, you know, it's like a musical loving. And they're like, where are all these like corn fed Texas guys? And I, I was saying like, hey man, I tried so hard. Like we put in 10, we never worked this hard on a movie. We put in 10 hours a day. Like maybe your movie is just not connecting to them. And um, I nearly got fired for what they perceived was that we just like in, ignored the assignment. Right. And I thought like, oh man, like this sucks. Like the hardest I've ever worked on the movie, put in the most time and here I am like getting in trouble for it, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I, I went to poker full time and, and then I made the Donner party. Um, right. That Dream Girls was, was frustrating because I thought it was a really good movie. Uh, and I think a lot of the rejection was was racially motivated. Like we don't want to see an all black cast. And I had never experienced that before because I had no experience with the South. Like I feel like if we had recruited that in New York City, we would have gotten the, the, the demographic they wanted. Um, but there was like this real tension of like, no like like uh and i didn't understand it at first and then when i saw the screening i, I realized um the racial divide is a is a real thing in our country the, even though if i hadn't experienced it before yeah. yeah the film was successful though wasn't it despite that yeah i think it did really well i think eddie murphy i don't know i think he won the oscar but he was like one of the favorites of the oscar and yeah it it, it was just an eye-opening experience for for me and hollywood blaine you know like blaine right. the little guy who's out there in the hot sun 10 hours a day, like working so hard for your movie. Totally. Um, and if I didn't have that poker outlet, I probably would have kept on for who knows, you know, you know but uh, yeah. I was able just to kind of step away and say, hey, guys, like, this is not for me. I think there's a tradition in Hollywood of really hazing the little guy, you know, like your assistant. There's even movies about abusive oh, yeah. assistants, you know, a whole genre of film. Um, Swimming with sharks. Yeah, that's the best one. Totally. With, with Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Um, um yeah. so did did the poker playing fund the film? Yeah, yeah, most most mostly everything came from from poker. Um, um my mom passed away unfortunately and her last thing was to give us a donation to finish the post production. So we have her and Domi's dad listed in the producing credits. So it was nice to have their contribution. Our movie was mm -hmm. actually the last movie that they both saw. So they wow. were able to see it with us holding hands and you know, even before we cut it so they could kind of say, hey, like, you know, mold it a little bit. But they were both really impressed with the film. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Um, the timeline seems super extended, but it sounds like maybe it's all kind of meant to be. Yeah, I think for a project like this, when you're really putting your heart and soul, you're writing it, you're acting in it. We needed this time. We, we now want to do like a more compact thriller you know, where I, we really structure the shots and the whole goal is like to entertain an audience, not, not to have people interpret the film, you know? 
Um, I'm right. ready to, 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 do, to do something with more commercial ambitions, I think. Um, uh, how did you and your wife meet? <laughs> this is a crazy story, man. If, if you have time to get into it, it's a tangent, but uh, do it. Um, yeah, I, it's actually related to surfing too. I don't know if you know much about Hollywood surfers, but I feel like one of the best actors who surfs is a guy named Andrew Keegan. And I live near him in Venice. He, he, uh, he's a good friend. He was, like a, he was like a pro level surfer. In no, the, he's sick. Yeah, so I, we, first time we surfed, we went out at Venice. I just got like a stand up barrel, like right off the, the Venice pier. I couldn't believe it. I was just like, oh my God, like, like you're really the real deal. Cause a lot of actors say they can surf and then you get out there with them and like, but yeah, he's, he's the real deal. And he used to throw these giant block parties in Venice right near where I live. And I went one year, I wasn't drinking this year. So I was really lucid. And I, and I just saw this, this, this girl and, and she was with this like a, annoying drunk guy that was like bothering her, but it was her date, obviously. And I kind of went up and I, I said, Oh yeah, you're really beautiful. I was like, who's this guy? Like, and she was like, Oh, this guy's, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> And anyway, she she ended up bailing, but we didn't exchange any information, but we kind of danced a little. It's just just a really nice connection. And um, maybe like three days later, Andrew's girlfriend actually forced him to call me. He, he said, I think there's notes for you in the neighborhood, dude. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, like post-it notes. It's like, I meet this TJ at this party. He's bald, she said, because she didn't know how to say like short hair, you know? Like, He's around 28, 30. I don't know who he is, but if there's any way you guys in, in this Venice area know him, please tell him that I really liked him and I hope that um, he could call me. And um, I did. And we've been together 12 years ever since. That is so whimsical. Isn't that crazy, man? Like, If you wrote that into a film, I'd be like, that's so stupid. Dude, Don't we did that. write it. We put it in the movie and it, it felt like it just went to a Hallmark movie. Like it felt like exactly. So, yeah. We had her telling her sister the story, you know, and it was like, no way. But like it, it, you, you would have to make it that tone of movie, you know, like a, yeah. a real romantic, sweet film. But I just thought, wow, like what guts, you know, I had never met anybody that would even think of doing that and and for us to really connect and a crazy thing about about life is I was going to Alaska to write a script um, on um, a bear hunt gone wrong these producers wanted to do this film and I had like um, never got made but they funded me to go to Kodiak Alaska like right where the like hardcore grizzly bears are and um, I said I have two nights like let's go out I don't know how long I'm going to be in Alaska we just hit it off it was amazing two dates um, and um, I'm gone in Alaska. She lives in New York City. So I'm like, I'm never going to see this woman again. I come back. I've been waiting on a, an apartment in Venice Beach to open up. I come back and she had no idea of where I was going to live here. She had rented a room literally across the street. Oh my gosh. So I come back and she's just part of my life. Like, it was like, what is the universe doing? Like, there's something strange going on here. Like, I'm I'm a big science guy, but it's like how how what are the odds? And uh, it was that's absolutely, remarkable, absolutely crazy, man. The post-it note situation, Craigslist used to I don't know maybe they still have yeah missed misconnections. misconnections yeah totally yeah it's a real this, life misconnections. And this is so sweet. I still have one of the notes uh, I made Andrew keep it for me, and I always joke with Andrew that I have to like give him profit shares on this film he came to the premiere because he kind of owe it all to him for just being a good community leader and throwing these giant parties 
Um, well, I mean, the balls or bravado it takes for you at a party to see somebody who you think is beautiful, who you also think is on a date with somebody to walk up and say <laughs> to that person, you're beautiful. Yeah, that, that's a ballsy move. And so to have her reciprocate in such a grand fashion has to be the most validating thing in the world. Yeah, it was really nice. I mean, I, I don't know if you know much about the LA scene, but I dated a lot of actresses and there's just such a hunger for success that when you're dealing with people in the industry, it's very hard to find trust and find a yeah. person that is really there for you and not just maybe trying to meet someone that you're working for to make, like, it's such a connect, everybody's connections. I need connections, you know? And she, and it's, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's transient. It's hard to find somebody who's, sincerity i guess is what it is yeah I, I got extremely lucky man and trust me before it was all six month three month like i never had anything like it and now it's 12 years and it feels shorter than those short relationships i was in um, um well obviously you're sharing writing credit and directing credit on this film yeah what is that relationship like look look like moving forward do you always continue to share I think she's more inclined to be uh, the lead actress. I wrote, I wrote a, we went through this process of like putting our eggs on ice, you know, so we can have kids when we're 60 or something. And we did it in Argentina because they have a little bit ahead and some, some medical ways. And uh, we had like this doctor that was just like in love with her genetics and was so twisted. So I came up with a story about uh, a company that's like manipulating women to get these these kind of like futuristic perfect babies but they're they're not taking the uh, it's called womb and I, I see her as like the lead in this because I wrote it for her and me more as the director and she can produce it and um, you know th these kind of seven-year projects where you're both writing and directing together are, are not uh, loose undertakings you know um, yeah so so for the next one I'd love for her to be the main actor and maybe I don't act maybe we get like a known um uh hollywood guy to play the husband i, I would kind of like that i don't i'm not as comfortable with acting as she is she she really enjoys it and it stresses me out well um, and is she i apologize for not doing my research on her work oh, history no, but no problem is she taking projects uh acting projects as well well we've been just dealing with her dad you know who yeah just passed away so we just really haven't had time for her to set up the whole audition process and nobody Got knew it. who she was anyway but now she's like god she just maxed out on facebook like the day the movie opened and a lot of people saying oh my god i'm in love with you and like i, I really think she kind of shines ed, ed said said the same thing but um she's not a careerist you know like a lot of the people in hollywood that really make it they're just like they're just burning to like be a star you know she wants to do good projects and if it's just between her and i i think that's okay for her but certainly if ridley scott or someone wanted her to do a project we would take it in a second you know yeah of but course she's really contentious like you know going to the beach um you know enjoying life you know that's that's her main thing yeah, um, yeah. good sounds healthy yeah definitely hollywood can be a poison man and and i'm I really feel like surfing saved me during those 20 years because yeah. no matter how bad things get, I could just get to Venice before the sun went down or, you know, get out to Malibu on the weekends and get like a soul cleanse, you know? A um, couple of surf specific questions about the film, just things that I noticed. Sure. Uh, Way a Weiler surfboard. Yeah, man. That's cool. No, that's a deep pull, dude. He's uh, Peruvian, right? 
Peruvian shaper. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how did, why was that board your choice? I needed a board. We were in, we were doing, um, um, we knew we were, when we got to, to Santiago, we needed to get everything there. And there's back then there weren't that many board choices. Um, Ramon Navarro and his partner had a shop. So we went into the shop and I, I needed, I, I, Ramon had surfed this Island and not many people had, and I needed a board that, that had a lot of concave that I knew that I, I could at least make a drop. You know, I didn't know what I would find as far as surf went um, just based on a few pictures. And, and he does boards that like really handle hollow waves well. So when I saw that on the rack, I was like, okay, cool. Like I could drop in on something here and a non-surf audience isn't gonna think anything different, you know? So yeah. I, I, pur I purchased that board. I bought, brought that board in my normal shortboard and we only got one day of surf. Um, so I'm really glad I had that that longer board because I had no frame of reference to that break. I just went out and there was thousands of sea lions all around me, and it took about four hours to get those two two waves. But I wanted a board that I was going to stick the drop, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I and I like the it was like almost like one of those old pipeline boards, you know, like it has a lot of had a lot of bend in it. It wouldn't be yeah. like my my normal shortboard to ride for fun no. and speed, but. I thought maybe you just knew Wayo and you were hooking him up with a little free uh, no, logo placement advertising. All function for sure. Cool. was like the board that I thought like, okay, cool. Like I can't blow it on this board. I didn't want to yeah. get there with like a, a normal shortboard and just fall the whole time. Cause we got, we had literally one day to shoot the surf scene. That Island is crazy because they're like a fishing village. Um, but when the waves are big, nobody goes to the other side of the Island. Like they're, they're these little wooden skiffs and it takes like, it will take you like an hour when it's calm to get there. And it'll take you two or three hours to get there when it's, and they risk losing their boat. And we got this like young greenhorn to agree. Finally, after everybody turned us down um, to take us, we had to say, Hey, like we put our whole lives in this film and we need these scenes. And he took us and he tied us up to where that break is to the little dock. And we're like getting stuff off and it's all good. And all of a sudden he turns white, a set's coming. And he just like takes a hatchet from his boat and hatchets the rope and just kicks off and we're we just got the camera off and there and we're just stuck on the side of the island until the swell goes down which turned out to be two or three days and we just camped out oh there oh my gosh yeah there was a paddock i forget what company it was a big company there's a ceo they also have the airport on this side it was two weeks longer because no boats were taken to the to the other side of the island um and we wow. realized in that moment like this guy could have lost his boat like we would have done all we could to reimburse him but you know, thank you to that guy. Like we wouldn't have had that surf scene. And it was so important to me because we set up these little clues about, Hey, like you're not surfing. The father says, and for me, like when I surf, everything falls into place. And I thought for a surfer, when they see the movie, maybe they can see like, once he surfs, like he's a much more chill kind that, of dude. Yeah. That's exactly what was conveyed in the film. It was like, yeah, he was tense. He was drinking too much, all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, he got the refresh and it set him straight and he goes back yeah. to make things right. Yeah. And the way I look at her by the fire right after the surf scene, it's like you can see like this kind yeah. of contentment. And it's also yeah. dealing with the issues of the father. But the surfing was like the activity that you couldn't have until you sealed up those those things. Um, yeah. So it's an intense island, man. It's it, we took a boat, which was maybe something we would never do again. We we talked this this guy into renting us our boat renting his boat to us and the captain said like i'm gonna need you guys to work on the boat it's like a three a three-day journey and um 
our editor just got violently sick and about two days in, he started coughing up blood and we would have turned back if we only had one day to go, you know, and, um, you know, just taking a bunch of people and putting them, especially in the Humboldt Current out to sea, like we were, we were, <laughs> we were crazy to do it. What was he got, sick? Like, what was he sick from? He just, he, he had seasickness so bad that he couldn't hold anything down. And he was like regurgitating so much that I think he just like upset something inside himself that broke. So the oh. blood was now coming out. And uh, our captain who was just like this stout Chilean guy was like laughing at us. Cause like, it was like maybe waist head high. It was still just boom, boom, boom. But he's used to like much, much bigger seas. So he's like, this is nothing guys. Yeah. But when the blood started coming, he started to get very concerned. Um, and it's funny, as soon as we hit land, like he just, all the life came back. He ran to the satellite phone. He calls his girlfriend. He's a Argentine editor. He's like, baby, I'm so sorry for everything I've ever done. I'm going to be a better man. My whole life flashed before my eyes. And, and from that moment on, like we, we didn't have any problems with the sea because we were like in the vicinity of the island, you know, and yeah. we felt like we felt like pros. Well, what a team, team building experience too. You feel like you've gone through something harrowing together yeah and we had to charter a plane to take them home obviously no one was going to step foot on a boat right. going back again um but yeah it was really, so, it so the film i mean in the film um is that supposed to be easter island isn't that what was said well i say we're heading to easter island and this okay. is an island that would have been along the way it's not Got literally it. robinson crusoe but it's a, an island that you would have just encountered on your way to Easter Island was kind of how I thought of it in my head. Got it. Got um, it. Got it. There's tons of these crazy little islands out there. Yeah. Um, but I know in real life, I would have just told her, yeah, let's go explore the island. You know, like that's like, but without that, you don't have the movie. And yeah, of course. Yeah. No, it totally, it totally worked. Um, the other surf specific question I was going to ask you is why aren't there fins on that board when you're paddling it to shore? Well, because I had it stored away, right? I mean, I don't travel with my fins on my boards. I just pull yeah. it out of the case and I want to get to her right away. I'm not going for a surf. I'm using it only for yeah. transportation. So if I put fins in, it would be like, I'm so desperate to see her. I just, it's like, it could have been a float, you know? Got it. Yeah. So it was intentional. Yeah. It was just like, how would I pack this board? And in this situation, I would pull it out and there would be no fins on it. Because whenever I pack my boards, I don't have fins on them. I just wanted it to, yeah. to be more rushed, you know, than anything. Exactly. Um, we um, actually almost had, you remember that company that like Jay, Jamie O'Brien was like a rep for where the board would like have a little motor on it. I don't, I think they went out of business, but they were all surfing them at, in Oahu one season. And that company yeah. almost gave us one because we thought it was going to be so funny for me to like have this like slow motoring thing <laughs> instead of paddling. But at the last minute they said like, Jamie or someone on the North Shore broke too many of their boards. So they, they were like these really expensive boards. You're right. I do yeah. remember. It was, I think they were just called Jetboard or something, something like that. Like that. But, but I thought it would be so funny just to see me like cruising around, like not even hilarious. paddling, you know. But they, they were way too expensive for us to even think about buying one on our own. And then when totally. we didn't have that, I just said like, what would I do if I had my board back here? I would just pull it out and go to shore rather than take a dinghy because it's so much easier to just put on your wetsuit and, and paddle. Yeah, that's... Well, that's exactly why I asked too, because there's so many elements like that in films where I'm like, is it intentional or did they just not know that you're supposed to have fins in the board or whatever? And I know you would know to have fins in your board, but you just yeah. wonder, or maybe there's an element of the production. Maybe 
somebody in production forgot to pack the fins or something stupid like that, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's an intentional, that's exactly what we actually had a conversation about it. We're like, this board would not have fins because it's packed on a boat. Like it would be all dinged It was up. in a board bag. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that those are the touches that I think if you use like a director who doesn't surf, they won't know any of those little details, you know? I, yeah. I feel like Hollywood gets wrong surfing so many times, you know, and sometimes it's super funny and the story still works like point break. Like I can enjoy that film, but it's like surfers are not behind that film. It's quite obvious, you know? Yeah. Completely. It's like that. It's like a fantasy version of surfing. Yeah. Um, um, well, I didn't, I didn't want that for this film. Obviously it's, it's not a surf film per se, but, but I wanted the surfing to, to connect with people who really enjoy the activity. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, for listeners who are interested in watching the film, what's the best way to help uh, support the film? Well, our distributor said right now, the best way is to get that Prime AI kicking in because that can last 20, 30 years. So if you see it on Amazon Prime, I think it's like $3.99. And you just drop a comment like worth, worth watching or give it a nice rating. That, that will help the longevity of the film. I'm sure it will be streaming somewhere in the next few months. If you don't have the $3.99, you'll be able to see it. Um, I don't know what company, but 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 someone will. But that that would be the most helpful. And then the same on I, iTunes. You can see it there. Um, but the, aside from but aside yeah. from just paying the three ninety nine, rating and reviewing is key to. Yeah, it really helps their algorithm kick in. Everything's based on algorithms now. So the more ratings they see, they can match it up to other films, and then it just starts popping on people's Amazon screen. And that's yeah. a big, big deal for us. Um, Good. Yeah. Um, and then what are you currently, or what are you starting to map out the next project? I'm sure you're writing right now. Yeah, that, that project Womb, I have a script. I, it still needs some work. I've been doing a lot of medical research because I want I want it to be like 20 years in the future of what we're going to be able to do with babies, like uh, set in a not so distant future, but a, enough futuristic tech that it can be really, really realistic of like what's going on with this super baby inside of her that gives her these powers and crazy stuff happens and i have a book that i've been working on for years man it's like it's my ode to surfing i actually listened to some of your podcasts for for research like with bill hamilton um it's about a father in 1969 that rather than see his kid drafted for vietnam um he takes them on a worldwide sale and they end up stranded with a primal culture and it's about um just the nature of war and um, they're surfers as well. So surfing plays really into it. And, and an earlier draft had um, Oliver Stone wanting to make the film, um, which is crazy because I hosted a screening of him of, of a movie called Heaven and Earth and we got along well. And my wife said, hey, like, I know you're not done with this book, but just give it to Oliver Stone. Like this is an old school Oliver Stone movie. It's like all testosterone, like platoon Wall Street style film. Like three days later, he's like, what is this movie? Like come to my house and he threw a whole party for me with producers. And I thought, I thought, oh my God, like we're going to make a hundred million dollar surf movie, like a real surf movie, not like some fake bullshit, um, you know, people who don't surf because Oliver really likes surfing too. But he went on to this documentary and he, he wrote his memoir and he just said, hey bro, like I'm an old man. Like this is a hundred million dollar movie. I don't think I'm going to, going to get to this. And I just want to say, like, I really support your vision. And um, wow. and, I, and I'm still working on that that book. And what I would like to do before it's a movie is to get it published. Um, but I, I kind of have to finish a few sections. It's, it's one of these 
long projects, but if not, we, we, we put it out ourselves, you know, these days I can, I can just, you know, put it on Amazon, start selling yeah. copies, but Bill Hamilton, when he came to early Kauai and you guys had that talk. So I actually went and talked to him on my own um, about that experience of raising Laird and being the only white guy. I mean, it wasn't as primal as a society we go to, but just, you know, the outsider, people are generally, uh, you know, culturally scared of the outsider and, and how you reckon with that. Um, it was really interesting to me. I loved that, that little story in uh, Get Away If You Can, where you're talking about the natives. Oh yeah, how they wanted I mean, to, yeah. Yeah, it was like the natives, was it in the old west? Where... Yeah, it was, in, it was in a book called Tribe that I read that, that they actually documented that, that most of the white so-called civilized people that went to the indigenous societies wanted to stay there. And, right. So yeah. for the listeners, the kind of purpose of the story or the premise of the story was the white, uh, you know, invaders, settlers. essentially settlers, yeah. yeah, connect with the natives. And after the interaction, the natives go back to their old way of life. They retreat back to their native way of life. And the settlers continued to follow kind of what the natives were doing. The settlers did not go back to their old way of life, but they wanted to obviously be more like the natives. The invaders wanted to be more like the savages. Quote yeah. Unquote. Yeah. When they had been transplanted or a woman was taken hostage, they almost universally preferred the simpler life. Um, which is so interesting because we think of civilization as this, at least I did when I was younger, as an improving of the human condition. And maybe at some point it will, but I don't know that cities and working and 70 hour weeks, like it's not conducive. Everything I've studied about native cultures, the work weeks were short, you know, it's like 20 hours of gathering food, hunting with your friends. That's fun, you know, in Hawaiian culture, Polynesian culture by the ocean for hours a day. I mean, sure, it was dangerous and you had to be prepared to fight. It was a pretty gnarly thing to be living. I'm sure if your king was an asshole, it wasn't so nice. But yeah, but the lifestyle itself is pure. I think what um, I think what we all feel the desire is like we want to have the resources to be able to do whatever we want. But then once we have the resources and the options, we retreat back to. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, Kauai a great example of it is Andy Irons comes from Kauai small yeah. small place becomes three-time world champ has the opportunity to live anywhere any kind of lifestyle he does he could yeah. come back to Kauai just want to live on Kauai you know what I mean like totally, that's yeah. as good as it gets yeah yeah so definitely. but you want those resources which also is funny in the film where it's like once I hate to spoil but spoiler alert warning for anybody listening. yeah say that that's once, great yeah, once the um, husband kind of decides, like, hey, living on the island, I'm going to go let my wife know I agree with her. Let's stay here. She's like, wait, 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 where's the boat? <laughs> let's, let's get out of here. I, I just wanted you to kind of see it my way, but yeah. let's get out, you know. So having that moment of like, I find it so resource. ironic that he didn't learn even to talk to his wife first. You know, I, I find it so funny because I think it's, so typical like male driving no no i don't need directions i'm gonna go like, like i totally. i always laughed at it um but um but yeah but in the end honestly we got everything we need right here we just want to make love by the ocean that's it yeah you definitely know? and surf and she's can smoke some good weed and we can enjoy <laughs> our life 
I'm sure if we did a sequel though, we could get into kind of like how difficult it would be to like figure out how to survive. But that's been explored so many times on film, you know? I totally. thought Castaway did a great job with that, with Tom Hanks, like step-by-step step going from a modern dude to like figuring out how to remove his teeth, how to hunt, like it was brilliant. I wouldn't even want to touch that. Having the yeah. one scene where you walk up with the big fish, that was good enough. That explained yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you got all that Castaway just from that, yeah. <laughs> Totally. totally yeah. um, final question. Whose boards are you writing while you're on, on Kauai? Well, it's funny, man. I used to have a whole quiver here, but my friends got annoyed with me taking up their storage space. <laughs> so now I'm just down to like one IPA. It's a, it's a Yoda from a couple of years ago. It's like a short board that's really loose. And I can come even in the summer when it's small and just know I have a board here. So I hate traveling with boards and I like to just get yeah. there and know I have a board, but I'm probably going to have to get a step up we're going to be here for all winter and i'm i'm wondering if i either go with like you know just a chong perfect hanalei board or try to like tap into some john john and get like a ghost step up and that's generally I, I even when it's big i like to be on the shortest board possible but i've also like really messed myself up trying to surf waves that most mortals can't do on a short board you know yeah, so it's like yeah. a balance for me um I just, I don't manage the big boards well, you know, they're so cumbersome. I don't paddle, uh, I don't know how to tie my paddles. I like to be right there and make a steep drop even on the bigger waves, but um, the wipeouts are, are painful. I'm not totally. in the best, best of shape. So I'm reckoning on what the, what the next board, board is, but. Would you, order, would you order a custom from a shaper there? Would you just go by off the rack? I'd probably go, go, they have like a board swap which is great because everybody brings their use. I love, I love use boards. I yeah. don't, I don't like when you pay so much for a board and it's so precious, you know, yeah. I like a board that's been tested. I don't mind dings and things like that. Um, but, you know, I'll take that. IPA. I'll, it's going to be big at Hanalei tomorrow. I'll, I'll, it'll be double, triple overhead and I'll just try to pick off some smaller sets on it. It's so oh, cruisy and fast and fun. And it's like my kind of California style board. Good. And I got to give a shout out to Guy Okazaki in California. I, sh I surf his boards in Venice. He's yep. part of that whole circle where I met Domi. So it's like I have all his boards in storage and Domi actually painted one. She actually is an artist like in the movie and she painted one. And then we we um, we glassed over uh, over the paint. So it's like it's a most beautiful board. And Guy was like, don't surf this. But I said, no, I want to surf it. And every time I put a ding in, we put like red tint in so the dings are like the blood of the board and some, someday we'll hang it on a wall it's really pretty um yeah. was she responsible for the closing credits of the film no we hired an artist for that uh, a guy who was insane it's so good right it's a young uh, up-and-comer we didn't have the budget like a credit sequence like that on a big hollywood film would be tens of thousands of dollars but i found a nice artist online i really did a lot of research this guy garth shout out to garth art by garth if you need any visuals and surf movies call this guy he's just amazing to work with and he just put two took, took took in two months put two months into that sequence we wanted the movie's a bit hard you know so we just wanted to kind of end it with that beautiful song led and images for you to say oh wow cool like i can fantasize that that they're living a good life on that island you know even if you're not was, showing that it was the coolest best credit sequence i can remember seeing Oh, dude, very, that's very so nice time. to hear. Yeah, it was memorable. Yeah. Totally. Beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, dude, enjoy your time, your downtime there, really. And uh, 
revel in the completion of the project and I hope that it just continues to grow and succeed. It's really, really good. Thanks, man. And keep up the good work. Your, your, your work is like this oral history of surfing and, you know, it's going to last forever. It's, I really appreciate it. Man, yeah. thank you. Thank yeah. you. Glad to be able to do it. Take care, bud. All right. You too. So your grandfather sounds like me. Head up, shoulders back and proud to be. Every little girl is so naive Falling in love with the first man that she sees Oh, I will not be a victim of romance I will not be a victim of circumstance Giants or circumstance or romance Or any man who could get his dirty little hands on me Martin, wonderful conversation. Thank you very much. I have linked to Terrence's Instagram where you can follow his work on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Of course, I have also posted the trailer of the film, Get Away If You Can. I highly recommend it. And I think um, just through hearing Terrence talk, I have a feeling you will automatically want to watch that film. So prioritize that for your holiday weekend. Wherever you rent it, Amazon, Apple, wherever you can find it, make sure that you also rate and review the film. As you heard, that really helps tremendously. And I think Terrence has some phenomenal projects in the works that I would rather see him make on his own than go through studio channels. So if we can kind of support this project and fund future projects, it's just more great content for you and I. So I encourage you to go out there and do that. I would also encourage you to uh, take a page out of Terrence's book and just map out your own passions. Figure out how to dedicate time to them in 2023. You don't necessarily have to quit your job in order to pursue your passions, but just don't let the job and all of that stuff block you from doing what you love. I have a feeling a lot of us have uh, forgotten even what our passions are. So let this conversation be a lesson as to uh, how fulfilling and gratifying life can be if you pursue that stuff. You may end up making a film, maybe you'll just end up having a podcast, or maybe you'll just end up surfing more. Whatever it is, in 2023, it is the time to execute. So go out there, have a happy new year. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I will see you next year. Enjoy the time off, get back into the ocean, share some waves, and as always, shred on. See you next year. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.